Welcome in to the greatest internet game show there is that runs on Monday afternoons, hosted by yours truly. That's right, Mark Carmen. Sport in order. Look at the amazing guests that we have today. First things first, straight out of Syracuse. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to you, Nick Wright. Great to have you on the show, my friend. It is a delight to be here with two of my favorite people in the world and Mark Carmen. Richard Durante is the other person <laughs> I was talking about. <laughs> Danny Park at 670 to score. Did you guys ever live together at Syracuse? What was the, the, the best buddies here? That would have been a disaster. You're both disgusting individuals in the home front. <laughs> wow. I mean, you're you're not wrong, uh, but no, we did not ever live together. We were never roommates, but uh, you know, we there was a time where I would say we probably for about a three week period spent seventeen hours a day together when we were kind of motoring through multiple seasons of twenty four. When Danny was trying to convince me to try marijuana, and I refused. But aside from that, <laughs> that, that that's uh, right. I mean, that's the closest we came to living together. Yeah, mucho mangoes, chicken parmesan subs, and live betting uh, NBA free throws make or yeah. miss for five bucks a pop. True exactly degeneracy. Right. Uh, who lost more money in college gambling? Best guess? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> in college, after college, this week. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, Danny, Danny's a better gambler than me. There's oh. no question about that. All right, well, that's not saying much. Well, well, let's see who's going to come out today in a, in a fierce sport and order battle. If you're first joining the show, we've got 11 questions. These guys will get 30 seconds each to answer each, each question. You get one point for questions one through five. Six through ten is worth two. And then question 11 for it all, five points on the board. Uh, by the way, I am the judge. I am the jury. I am everything here. So you might want to take that into consideration as you answer the questions, but, you know, just be yourself. Also go for your own satisfaction. As we start with question one, Nick, you get to start off here because you're older than Danny, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the best reason I can come up with right now. Question one, guys, we're starting with the NBA and the NBA players who I'm giving tons of love to. I think we all are. The players had three specific asks to come back to playing. One was the formation of a social justice coalition. Two was a commitment from teams to use their facilities as voting locations in every NBA city. And three, voting advertisements during every TV broadcast. Nick, what do you make of these demands from the players? I think the second one is the key, and I think it's really, really smart and really good. Listen, you think about the state of Texas, Houston, San Antonio, Dallas. Now we're going to have three massive voting centers open. Georgia, which could be a swing state this year. Atlanta is going to have a massive voting center open. And it, addressing systemic racism and police brutality is not something you can do in a three-day weekend trying to get back to basketball. But forcing the owner's hand and opening these voting centers was something that could get done immediately and I think was really smart. Get out there and vote. Absolutely. Danny, what do you say? I think it's all very impressive. I think it's direct. And I think a lot of the expectations that external critics put on NBA players are just all bad faith arguments, right? On one hand, it's shut up and dribble. And then on the other hand, it's, I want to see action in specific things and they're not doing enough. Well, here are some specific demands. And I didn't know that it was up to basketball players 
to end racism. So these are demands that have been made and they're using their platform to drive at those causes and spark the conversation. I commend them. I find it to be impressive. Yeah, I think there's just everyone putting it on the ice. Well, what's next? You can't just sit out or put a name on the back of your jersey. What are you going to do next? Is a ridiculous ass. It's not onto the athletes to solve the world's problems. Nick, I'm giving you the point on this one because I just got super excited at the concept of everybody showing up and voting. So for the excitement that I just felt with your answer, you get uh, number one. You Thank get first you. point. Appreciate that. There we go. Uh, we're staying with the NBA in question two. Parko, you get to go first here. And I love this with uh, Doc Rivers and Marcus Morris. Uh, Marcus battling it out with Nick on Twitter. You should definitely check that uh, battle out. It's, 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 uh, it's beautiful. It's hysterical. It's, um, it's maybe upsetting for some Such KU fans out there. Uh, Morris, he stepped on Luka Doncic's ankle in game five, then he smacked him in the head in game six. And here comes Doc Rivers saying that Morris was ejected because, quote, he is Marcus. And then he said it's, quote, absolutely absurd that Morris had targeted Doncic in game five. Danny, is the classic, classy Doc Rivers not being firm enough with Marcus? And that could ultimately, by the way, impact the Clippers' playoff run. What do you think? I think it's a coach's job to come to the defense of their players, even if what the player is doing is largely indefensible. And I really don't know how Marcus Morris can defend his actions. And you don't see, by the way, a lot of neutral NBA observers rushing to the defense of Marcus Morris, which should tell you quite a bit about what they think of his actions on the court. So I absolutely think Marcus Morris is in the wrong, but that doesn't mean that Doc Rivers is in the wrong for defending his guy. But I don't think it's going to hurt the Clippers. He's not exactly Draymond Green to that team. Well, so I, I disagree with the last point. I think it could hurt the Clippers. He's got now two flagrant foul points, two more, and you miss a game. If the Clippers are fortunate enough to make it to the conference finals, he'll miss a game. There's no chance he can play two straight series without whacking people. He put Luke in a headlock in game one. He tried to maim his ankle in game five. He whacked him on the head in game six. But at least Marcus isn't trying to defend himself anymore. Game five, he was like, that's not who I am on Instagram and on Twitter. Game six, he said, Luca, cry me a river, clips in six. So, like, he at least is owning this at this point. I like any athlete, though, who goes at Nick on Twitter. It makes me happy. That, that, that is a – Julian Edelman fans around here. <laughs> and his canter, Julian Edelman, Marcus Morris. Yeah, a positive or negative, by the way. Just I, I just get a kick out of it. I, I like Parco's point, for the record, that, uh, you know, just being on the team with your guy is a way, to, I guess, to live life if you're an NBA head coach. But I'm giving the point to Nick because I hadn't considered the fact that Morris probably isn't going to end up missing a game, and that could matter – yeah, he played excellent when he was on the court, especially in game six. So it is possible that that might impact the Clippers-Lakers series, which makes me partly By the way, now that I've won the first two points, let me – I wasn't going to issue this objection if I was trailing early, but I'm issuing a preemptive objection that the 11th question is way overweighted, and it totally is rendering moot the points on these first few questions. It's a flaw in your scoring system. I don't I like mean, it. That, that is certainly your opinion that you're allowed to have, and uh, we will not uh, take it under advisement at this particular time, but thank you. Question three – uh, we're one more NBA before. Well, actually, we have two more NBAs, but let's start with the Raptors and the Eastern Get Conference. together, reality. Uh, <laughs> Toronto has been a great story. They've been rolling since the bubble started. They had only lost one game before they got smoked uh, by Boston in game one of the Eastern Conference semis. Their head coach, Nick Nurse, saying the Raptors, quote, were not ourselves. 
53 wins this year. Four more, by the way, for those who are not paying attention, than Kawhi won in L.A. But the question is, is this the end of the line for Toronto? Will they miss having that Kawhi superstar who can create some shots when absolutely nobody else can do it? Nick, is this it for the Raptors? I think they obviously miss Kawhi, but I don't think it's the end of the line for the Raptors. I Before the playoffs, I, I picked Celtics over Raptors in seven. I do think the loss of Gordon Hayward could hurt them a bit in this series. Listen, when the, the, when the Raptors don't play well, they tend to look terrible. And obviously, they have had a bad history of game ones in the playoffs. So I, I don't think this is a short series. I, I do think the Celtics win the series as my pick was before, but I don't, I don't think game one's an indication of how competitive it's going to be. Interesting. Danny, what do you see? Yeah, I, I think it could easily go six or seven, but I would be picking the Celtics. I am picking the Celtics. And we've seen this in the NBA. Like sometimes there are teams that are just the regular season means more to them. Not that they don't try in the playoffs, but they try a little bit harder than everybody else in the regular season. I think that was the case for Toronto this year. They wanted to prove a point that they weren't all about Kawhi Leonard, so they went out and attacked the regular season with more fervor. But now in the playoffs, when it comes down to superstar players at the end of games, they don't have those guys. So, yeah, I think the Celtics win the series. I was really hoping that Parco was going to bring up the 93-94 Bulls who had a great regular season and won 55 games. But, of course, when it mattered, they were going to come up short against the Knicks because they didn't have that guy. But he came close enough to doing it, so Danny gets the point here because that's basically what you just said. Did you say the 93-95 Bulls? 93-94. So I'm just supposed to be catering every answer through the prism of Mark (laughs) Carmen? the scorekeeper. Okay. The scorekeeper, yeah. I mean, I just thought it was a very logical point. It's got nothing to do with me. Obviously, you would go back to that time period and Uh the pride of playing without the greatest player of all time, but neither of you did it. That's okay. I'm a little – Let's keep it moving. (laughs) Scorekeeper. Question for – this one specifically for Nick, but it's also – How about that? (laughs) Annie's turn to go first. I'm here too. I mean, do you want me me to just cede my time to the TV star? My God. No, 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 no. But when you you bring up – got to go first on a question designed specifically for me. Enjoy it, Danny. Go ahead. Question question for – I mean, I'm believing in Parco to win this battle. Fansided.com, we just released a new episode of our Who's More – clutch series amazing job by us uh this battle kobe versus lebron in the clutch category if you absolutely had to have a basket you're down one there's 10 seconds to go who are you giving the ball to parko okay obviously the stats would skew to lebron uh historical precedent would skew to lebron nick's research he has a phd in lebron so i fully expect him to be prepared with data to win this question If the question is, I need the player to score the basket, then it's Kobe. If it's, I need my team to score a basket, then the answer is LeBron. But because Mark Carmen is the judge and Kobe Bryant is the next closest thing to Michael Jordan, I say Kobe Bryant and it's not close. All right. So Danny's right that I could bring up the fact that forget passing just LeBron's above 50% of shots like this for his career. The late great Kobe Bryant was below 30% that LeBron has more playoff game winners than any player ever that he has more playoff buzzer beaters than any player ever that he shoots a better percentage on these shots than any player ever. I could bring all these things up, but because Carm is so horribly threatened (laughs) by LeBron Exactly. So much of his childhood being wrapped up in LeBron James and Michael Jordan nostalgia, 
he's gonna say it's Kobe because it's easier for him. So I, I this is stupid. It shouldn't have been a question. And you're giving fansided all this credit. I mean, it's not exactly the most topical of poll questions, I would imagine. But hey, <laughs> whatever you got to do. So first of all, uh, the point goes to Parco just for saying that. Uh, for uh, just so you know, Nikki, mm-hmm. fansided and said LeBron. So you you were wrong in 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 what uh, our answer was. So you should. no, I I I didn't say what your what fan. I assume fansided has smarter people working there than you. So I'm not surprised that they went with the only objective answer. Everything runs through me at the end of the day. (laughs) That's not true, but that's what I like to believe. Harm-sided. And, uh, yes. um, So is this the fifth question? Is this the last one-pointer? That's correct, Nick. Okay. All right. So I got a little more time to warm up. We are tied up at two apiece. Danny Parkins has come back to tie this up after four questions. Two-two. Question five. As we go to baseball, Nick's favorite. Uh, baseball has met many new rules in 2020. We've got the runner on second base to start the 10th inning. We've got relievers who have to face three batters. We've got seven-inning doubleheaders. We've got the designated hitter in the National League. And we've got some others as well. What has been your new favorite rule that you hope sticks around for good and makes a positive impact on the game going forward? Nick. Yeah, I thought, and the San Diego Padres were kind of thought leaders on this, I thought bringing to the forefront the new rule that evidently if you keep trying when your team is up more than five runs that everyone hates you. I think that's really smart. I think it clearly is showing baseball's getting with the next generation. And I think excoriating one of the best young players in the game for continuing to try as opposed to just sandbagging his own statistics and his team's chances of winning in the, you know, it, to take care of other people's feelings. I think it's a good rule. I think it should be publicized more. And I'm, and I'm surprised more sports don't pick up on it. The unwritten rules coming on here. Danny, what do you got? As the only panelist on the show that actually watches baseball, uh, that's the wow. only story from wow. Fernando Tatis that will make it into the national consciousness. I, I'm not there yet on the new extra inning rule with the runner starting on second base. It feels a little gimmicky, and there's too much conversation around bunting the guy to third and then sacrificing him in, even though, yes, it does add excitement in the feeling that the game is going to end. Maybe start that inning in that rule in the 11th or 12th inning and let them play the 10th and 11th straight. The DH in the National League is perfect. No one needs to see pitchers hit unless – Oh, I hate that. Blown. I hate that rule. And I – and sorry, I'm calling for overtime real quick. I hate that rule. And I, I'm insulted by the fact that you're acting like I don't watch baseball. But p- pitchers hitting is fun. And it, Royals great Zach Grinke super bummed out about that rule. And on his behalf, I agree with him. Danny, what's the number two moment in Wrigley Field history? You as a vendor? That's in there. That was number four. No, I, I would say number two is the Kerry Wood homer in, in game Kerry homer in, in game seven. But they I lost. I mean, pitchers – I, I, I got to give the point to Nick. This is really yes! disappointing. Yes, I won the baseball. What an outrage. <laughs> I mean, who you, – you, it just – first of all, didn't ah, – Parco, Parco. Parco, didn't, didn't Jed Hoyer say on your show, the Cubs general manager, that he loves the extra inning rule? Wasn't that on your program that I listened to it? Yeah, and I, and I stole his suggestion that the extra inning rule should start in the 11th inning. So I, I stole an, an answer. Hey, 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 hey the judge is ruled. Let's move on. Let's okay. move on. And too much I got the point. Sorry. 
Uh, upset on question five, I guess. Uh, Nick is up 3-2 as we go to our two-point round, question six through ten. One more baseball question here. Parker, you're up. Uh, MLB reportedly considering doing what the NBA and the NHL are doing with some playoff-style bubbles here uh, as they are going to try to figure out a way to get through this uninterrupted. What should baseball do to get their playoffs played in as – productive, as uninterrupted, as enjoyable a fashion as we're going to move here into October and it's going to be freezing. Parco, do you have any good answers for this? Yeah, I mean, they would be insane not to pursue some form of a bubble. We've seen in the NHL exporting the games to Canada and the NBA in Orlando, it is the safest way to do it. And you can't have interruptions like we've seen happen to the Cardinals and the Marlins most notably in the playoffs or else you're going to be playing baseball on Christmas. I think you can make an argument that the divisional round, best of five, you'd only need to travel back and forth at most twice, uh, that you can do that at stadiums if you wanted to. But there should be a playoff bubble in baseball. I don't really see an argument against it. Yeah, the, Danny's right. The the If you can find the locations, if that's feasible, one of the pluses to the NBA bubble is Disney World was like the, the wide, wide world of sports campus there is just like perfectly set up for this exact environment. They have the hotels, they have the arenas. I don't know that there is one location like that that has the requisite baseball field you would need. What I would say is one of the charms of baseball is the it's the only major sport where the fields are not all uniform. That obviously you have the short porch Yankee Stadium, you have the Green Monster, the hell in Houston, they used to have the damn hill and the flagpole. So that would be taken away, but you've got to have – you've got – you can't have what happened with the Mets and the Marlins and the Cardinals happening in the playoffs. So I agree with Danny. So I'm a little disappointed. Nobody said shorten the season even further. Give me the two-week quarantine. Bring them all. I, don't they have a baseball field at Disney World? Shouldn't they – I mean, come on. I thought about that, but I don't, it, the, I don't think it's majorly – I don't think it's big enough. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think it's... Just do it in a warm weather place. It would be very baseball to do the idea of doing it in Chicago and Milwaukee and then having games get snowed out anyway. What you should really really do is do it at the Field of Dreams field, the place where they were going to play that exhibition game, not exhibition game, but the game in August anyway. And just I assume you could just rent out that entire area of Iowa. Yankees and White Sox. I'm giving the points here to Parco as he takes the lead because in my mind, it should be in a warm weather weather city so you can actually see baseball the way it was meant to be played. No dome, outside, let's go, and it'll feel like it's summer even if they play into November. So Parco gets the point here. He takes the lead four to three as we go to the NFL question seven, and we're going to Minnesota and the NFC North Vikings pouncing and uh, picking up disgruntled Jacksonville defensive lineman Yannick Ngakwe, rescuing him from the Jaguars. And the Vikings with a very active offseason, getting four draft picks for Stephon Diggs, which helped them in their trade for Ngakwe. Despite losing Diggs, that offense might be a little bit worse here and still in limbo with Dalvin Cook. Are the Vikings poised to win the NFL North, uh, NFC North, thank you very much, causing all sorts of havoc on that defensive line? Nick, what do you think? I Listen, I don't think they're going to win the NFC North, but I do think that is a brutal division except for Detroit. I happen to think your guys, Chicago Bears, are going to be very good, uh, and I think we're going to talk about them later. But I, what I will say about the Vikings is this. I thought they got 125 cents on the dollar for Stephon Diggs, 
and I feel like they paid 60 cents on the dollar for Yannick Ngakwe. To get a first rounder for Diggs and to only have to trade a second rounder for Ngakwe when we've seen all these guys be traded for a first round and then some, I think is a great, great job by them. Danny? I think the division is very tough, and I even think Detroit might be the best last place team of any of the divisions in the NFL, which is how I felt, frankly, about the NFC North last year. And then the Packers were outliers with 13 wins, and the Lions were outliers getting the third pick in the draft. But I think it's going to come back together where the winner gets 10 and the loser has seven, and so it's going to be very bunched up. I'd still pick the Packers because they have by far and away the best quarterback in the division in Aaron Rodgers, but the Vikings roster top to bottom is the most talented. Interesting. I'm going with Parco here for the underlining of Detroit. The, the Lions had so many tough losses last year. I think people are sleeping on a Detroit team. They that might I'm have actually, the worst coach in the NFL. They, they do. And, and by the way, okay, that's, that's fair. And Can you name their coach, Mark Carmen? Come Let on. me think he about it. I think, I, think it, I think it goes with – I think his last name – what was that comment? I missed it. I said I, – I, I was saying – I said, you know it's Matt Patricia. Danny's trying to make you look bad on your own show. <laughs> it's on, on you would never do that. But keep that in mind, not on your show. It's the first time I've ever been on your show. Okay. You've, you've been, been on you've my been shows on, plenty of times. When I get to host radio shows, uh, you've been on many times. And I think every time you I leave, remember. I feel like you just excoriated <laughs> I me. I don't remember that. That's 6-3, <laughs> Parco. The Lions are making the playoffs this year. Mark it down. You heard it here first on Sport and Order. Um, all right. Question eight. Danny, you're up. We're going uh, back to Jacksonville was now released Leonard Fournette after trying to trade him all offseason. They couldn't find anybody who wanted Leonard Fournette, who's been off and on in his three years. But he had 1,100 yards rushing last year, over 500 yards catching the football. He certainly can help someone. Who should jump in at the chance to bring in Leonard Fournette? What do you think? I guess it's a homer pick to say the Bears, but – Maybe Nick's team would be a homer pick and say the Chiefs. Like they've got no uh, depth at running back behind the rookie from LSU, Edwards Allaire, and the Bears have David Montgomery, a second round pick from last year, who's hurt. I was surprised to see Leonard Fournette had 79 catches last year, even though it went for less than 700 yards. Like if you have an offense that depends on passing the ball to a running back, and then you can actually have a better system than the Jaguars did, maybe Leonard Fournette could be a thousand yard receiving running back. I'll take him in Chicago. All right. I, I I disagree with almost everything Danny said. I think Fournette's bad. I think the Jags, it is a historic blunder that in the 2017 draft, after your guys' beloved Bears traded up for Trubisky, they're sitting there with, forget Mahomes because people didn't see this coming, with Deshaun Watson on the board. And instead of taking him, they took Leonard Fournette because they wanted to support Blake Bortles. And it's a franchise-changing mistake. And while I think cut, trading Yannick Ngakwe is part of, like, a tank, I don't think Fournette's good. I think Fournette is replacement level. And if the Chiefs signed him, I'd be angry. So that's I mean, I agree with everything you said about the draft pick, but you could sign the guy for nothing. So, yeah, I'd, I'd bring him. I'd bring the former fourth overall pick in for no money. For making Bears fans feel slightly better on not drafting Deshaun Watson and or Patrick Mahomes, we're going to give the two points to Nick Wright for this one. That's um, Thank you. 
And, and I do think it's worth a roll of the dice on Danny's uh, side to bring in Leonard if you're Chicago because you need help at the running back position slash your offense. I think it makes sense to take a flyer. Uh, I'd like to point out then that I answered the question. <laughs> Nick, Nick did not offer up a team. Uh, yeah, the team was nobody. Good. I don't think he's good. You think he should be out of the league? I think I think that this whole like, he won't be out of the league. I okay. don't think he. I think there are a hundred people who could give you the value he could give you. I do think that, but I already got the points. I don't have to defend myself any further. Okay, yeah, won the true. question. Qu- question nine. Uh, good point you, you don't need to defend yourself but this thank is you. uh thank you Parker. there you go we got quarterback controversy here you go parko this question's directly for you uh, we'll see how nick answers it Qu- quarterback controversy in chicago the veteran the super bowl champion nick Foles versus fourth year disappointment mitchell trubisky should obviously be named mitchell uh without any preseason games here how do the bears come to the decision on who should be their starter nick what do you think Oh, I don't think it's a decision. Listen, you guys are there. I'm not. But if if Mitch Trubisky starts week one, then what the hell are you guys doing? You traded to bring in Nick Foles and his bad contract because Trubisky is such a disaster. And I feel like the players in the locker room, one of the reasons I think the Bears will be good is when you have such – sometimes a team's defense even is sapped energy-wise by the badness of their quarterback. And I don't think Foles is great. But I don't think he – at this point, Mitch has, like, the old Blake Bortles stigma attached to him, and I just think it saps the energy of your team. It has to – Parkins, am I wrong? Doesn't it have to be Foles? You're not wrong. I do think the inability for Foles to show on the field in games that it should be him hurts him. So I think the Bears are impacted more by no preseason than any team in the league. Matt Nagy, after not playing any starters last year, said he was going to play starters this year and Mitch worked out with all of his guys this offseason the players do seem to like him and I think it's easier to go from Mitch to Foles than it is from Foles to Trubisky because if you start Foles Mitch's confidence is shattered if you start Mitch Nick has been the backup who's come in before but the coaches want it to be Foles so I still ultimately think it will be Nick Foles they traded for him they brought in John Filippo, who worked with them in Philly I think it's going to be Foles but it's closer than I ever thought it was going to be because the Bears don't have a preseason. I need an elaboration. Why do you think Trubisky's confidence would be shattered? Because he'd be the second overall pick who would lose the job in a quarterback battle without there being any games played as, as an incumbent. Like, he, he has a higher pedigree than Nick Foles. He has a higher ceiling than Nick Foles. He has more familiarity with the skill position guys than Nick Foles. Like, Nick Foles met these guys six weeks ago. So in, in person, he obviously met him over Zoom. So I think it would be shattering to Mitch's confidence for him to lose this competition when there were no games. I'll accept that. Two points for I Dan. Mean, you don't have to accept it. <laughs> <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to accept it. I know way, I don't. Can I, let, me, let, me, let me share a take here that I have not said about the Bears quarterback competition. I think in week one, they're both playing. I think I'm inside Matt Nagy's head, and the fact that he's not going to reveal the starter – until the day of the game, which is crazy. I think he's going to like outsmart the room and there's going to be a formation, like a bunch of packet, like a formation of plays, a package of plays, either four fulls or four Trubisky. And they're both going to play in week one. That's interesting too. And I think you probably are onto something right there because Matt Nagy does like, I like that. 
I didn't like the fact that initially I didn't like that you got the points and that you got extra time after going overtime on your first answer, but I like that, so I no longer object. Fair enough. Danny, eight, Nick, five, question 10, two to go here in a rock and sock of sport and order. Nick, uh, you are second in this one. So, Danny, we're going college football. The Big Ten Conference is now trying to appease some really unhappy parents and, I guess, athletic department officials as well. They canceled their football season. They vowed not to reconsider it, but now they're talking about, well, maybe we'll play around Thanksgiving or maybe we'll start up in January. The Big Ten clearly worried that the SEC, Big 12, ACC, they're all going to have successful seasons, and the Big Ten is going to be guilty of being too cautious. Should they reconsider and start uh, get a schedule out there as soon as possible on when they're going to play? So I'm funny on this sort of thing. Like I don't believe that reconsidering a position if new information comes up is a sign of weakness. I think it's a sign of strength and intelligence. So if the Big Ten's doctors and lawyers and university presidents said, we can't hold fall collegiate activities because of the pandemic, and then new information came to the forefront to those same doctors, lawyers, and university presidents, Fine, then reconsider. But don't reconsider because the SEC is like, God is going to protect our football players. That's insane. If the doctors say you can play, then play. If they don't, don't. Well, Nick? and I, I don't have a problem with them reconsidering it. I, my issue with the Big Ten is how they handled this from the beginning, which is it felt to me like the obvious move was to announce a postponement. To hold a press conference and say, listen, for a lot of different reasons, we didn't get out as far ahead of this as we needed to. We need 30 to 45 days, whatever that is, to figure out if we can play football and if we can, when we are going to be able to play football, come talk to us September 10th or thereabouts. Instead, they just scotched the whole thing. Now, I'm skeptical if any of these conferences are going to actually be able to play football and I'm skeptical of the ethics of if you don't have students on campus having college football players play. I think that's highly problematic. But I felt like announcing you're going to play or not going to play in the middle of August was always foolish. Yep, it's been completely bungled by the Big Ten. Nick, you get the points on this one. Thank God. Here's the reason why I really wanted those points. If Danny got them, there would have been a chance for a tie. And then Karm would have, because you would have been up five going into a five-point question. And then there would, Karm would have had to figure out overtime on the fly, and it would have been a disaster. So now at least we know we have a winner-take-all question. As a uh, longtime fan of Sport and Order, Nick, I've noticed that they change the scoring system every week. So oh, there's okay. no uniformity in any of this. Okay. This is the third straight week that we have done this scoring. And, Danny, we appreciate your longtime fandom, and you are right that there has been some augmentation. Canary. Chicanery is the word. All right, let's go. I don't even know what this last question is. I, 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 was, I prepped for the first 10, the 11th one I decided I'm not even looking at. Here we go. Five points on the line. Nick, you're up first here. Damn so this, uh, give your most thoughtful answers here, uh, and, and we'll see who comes out on top. Uh, athletes continue uh, to step up in really courageous ways. I think we've all been massively impressed, or at least we should be. Uh, Chris Paul and the NBA players calling Barack Obama to figure out what they should do next. I want you guys to tee up one thing that athletes have not done yet with their power that they could do uh, that might achieve the type of change that they are striving for. Nick, you're up. All right, so that's a tough question for 30 seconds. Uh, 
listen, I think that what the players did in kind of firing a warning shot of we might, the, the one thing they can do is withhold their services. And what they are, what they are leaning on is the athletes themselves have done a great job with help from the leagues of filling up what I've called the awareness bucket. Like uh, people six months ago didn't know what qualified immunity is. Now people do. People have a more awareness of this epidemic of police violence. And some people look at it as a positive future of the police. I happen not to. I know no one on this call happens to look at it as a positive future. But the only way actual change gets made is if you then lean on the owners of the teams. So just give me a little extra time here, if you would. The owners of the teams who are some of those powerful people in the world. Tillman Fertitta hangs out with President Trump. The DeVos family owns the magic. The, the, a Walton heir owns the nuggets. Like you have some of those powerful people in the world, people that can get public funding for stadiums and get tax breaks, leaning on them to use their political connections to actually affect some legislative change. That's the next step here. That's filling up the actual action bucket, which is going to take more than just the athletes. Danny? I agree with everything Nick said, and I might need a little extra time as well. The, the truth is, back to the first question, that it isn't on them. Like they have done their part already with their platform to do what Nick said with the awareness aspect of it. In terms of action, they can be as specific as they want to be, and the more specific that you get, the more prepared and researched you're, you have to be, and the more blowback, by the way, you're going to get. The Baltimore Ravens released a statement calling on Mitch McConnell by name to bring the George Floyd policing bill to the floor for a vote. That is a specific call to action to a specific senator. Look to the WNBA. The Atlanta Dream, they advocated and are stumping for a specific uh, politician, a Georgia senator, who run, is running against, in this upcoming election, against Kelly Loeffler, their team yep. Who owns the team. Who owns the team. So that, that is a specific political endorsement. So any athlete, politics is local. I know we talk about it in, like in presidential politics, but any athlete or team could say, this attorney general is overstepping, or this senator advocates for the wrong things, or we need this mayor out of office to enact local change. So any athlete in any city could do whatever they wanted with their power for specific actions. But as a whole, you're not going to be able to do that. So that's why as a whole, what the NBA is doing is about more, more about, hey, go out and vote, something that everybody can get behind, or awareness, something that applies to everybody. But what could a specific athlete or a specific team do? Basically, anything they damn well please. So it's two great answers. I saw Nick nodding a lot in appreciation of what Parco was saying. I saw the same thing coming back. I love the look on Nick's face right now as it's all on the line here. This feels like this is just an amazing moment where I have all the power. I got to give it to Danny. In a, oh. <laughs> in, a, in a stunning WNBA bringing in, NBA bringing in lengthy answer that I followed through 39% of, I think Parco has taken this one down. Uh, Nick, any reaction to, I mean, this is your protege on many levels here. I think you should be proud of him today. I'm proud of everything I heard from Danny today, except for the only thing I'm not proud of is his choice of shirt. 
<laughs> what else only- you like about his shirt? It brings out the color of my eyes. It's a golf polo. I threw it's, it on. I, it's terrible. Looks like I came from. Looks like it came from the Kenny Doll collection. Right, knockoff chain. Okay, and I believe knockoff chain. No, no, it's my chain will be a knockoff of your chain. I know. Oh, okay. All right, that's fair. Uh, but no, I, I think that this sport and order victory is going to launch me to fame and fortune, like my friend and apparently mentor at Viamis Protege. Mm-hmm. Pro- exactly right. It's nailed it. Nailed it. But it, listen, the thing is, is I'm on. A, I'm Danny. I know you maybe rightfully sometimes bristle at people calling you my protege, but both of my proteges are on this call. At least you're younger than me. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Carm's my other protege, and he's 25 years older than me. Hey. We all do life at our own pace, Nikki. I, 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 I'm I, not going to apologize for anything. <laughs> Carm, your shirt is like your hair. Like, it's salt and pepper, but it's, way more. Carm's got a good shirt. That's a good shirt. You came in – you might have come in first in the competition. You came in last in the shirts. Mm. That's I, I, I going formal. We were dressing down, so I, I went neutral. I went neutral. It, it does very much look like it was $7 in purchased at either a Walmart or B Target. That's just yeah. true. Yeah. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. It was our privilege uh, to have you. We loved it. Uh, Nick, thank you. Danny, thank you. Congratulations, Parco. Last thought as being the winner today, anything special that you'll always remember? Is there a trophy or a medal? Is there a press conference or a press release? Like, I just think as many people as possible should know that uh, I beat Nick at a game that scores the argument. Yeah, I I agree. I have one last thing to say before we go. Carm's awful tan, isn't he? Like, I, I feel like there's been a lot of, like, is it outdoor tennis during quarantine? What's That's been correct. going on? We're supposed to be staying inside, Carm. Have you not got the memo? Uh, you look good. T- tennis is the safest activity you can do. My game has never been better, and uh, you're underlining exactly what is going on. In, in, in you look life. good. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thanks for having us on, Carm. Thanks for, thanks for being here, guys. Sport and Order, Nick Wright, Danny Parkins. Thank you for watching slash listening. We'll see you next week.